Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. And so today, uh, we're going to be stepping into God's Word and looking at 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, uh, please feel free to open that up uh, to 1 Kings 18. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to share with a friend or get the River Church app. There's a Bible feature on there as well that's, that's pretty helpful. So we're going to be in 1 Kings 18, chapter 1. So before we dive too uh, deep into 1 Kings 18, uh, some key details that are going on behind the scenes of 1st and 2nd Kings for both books is that uh, we have the nation of Israel has been split into two parts. It's been split into a northern and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has kept uh, the name Israel and then the southern kingdom has taken on the name Judah. And so both kingdoms have kings that reign over uh, their kingdoms of Israel and Judah. For the northern kingdom, uh, they have 20 kings that rule throughout their, their, uh, their kingdom, throughout both 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and the southern kingdom has the same thing, 20 kings. So we have 40 kings altogether in 1 and 2 Kings. Now, uh, a fact that is shared by one of my favorite resources called Bible Project, uh, if you're looking for Bible studies or just general information about uh, the Word of God, they share quick summary videos of each book of the Bible. And their summary video on both 1 Kings and 2 Kings is absolutely phenomenal. I'd highly recommend check it out. Uh, one of the details that Bible Project shares about 1 and 2 Kings is that of the 40 kings, so the 20 in the north and the 20 in the south, that rule all of Israel, that uh, zero of the kings in the north stay faithful to God throughout their whole reign, which is not a great track record. And in the south, only eight of the 20 kings stay faithful to God throughout their reign. So altogether, we have only eight of 40 kings who stay faithful to God while they reign. Now, if we're in school, that's an incredibly bad grade. That's an F. And because the, the kings do such a bad job at staying faithful to God throughout their reign, God gives the role of the prophet to both the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And their jobs are to point the kings and the nation as a whole back to God, to stay faithful to God throughout their reign. And so as we enter and we read 1 Kings 18, verse 1, we're going to meet our king, our prophet that is serving at the time, and then give some more further details about the nation of Israel. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 says this, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So we have our king, his name is Ahab. 
He's married to his wife, Queen Jezebel. If you joined us for a Revelation series that we've done this past summer, the name Jezebel might be ringing a bell because Jezebel uh, is this evil, evil, evil lady who, uh, in fact, influences others and uses her husband as a tool to install uh, the worship of Baal, this golden calf in the nation of Israel. And so the whole nation of Israel is worshiping this golden calf. And in fact, Jezebel is so evil that her and her husband are this diabolical, dynamic duo where they work together to just absolutely wreak havoc throughout the nation of Israel in their reign. So they definitely need the prophet. And the prophet that we're going to be talking about today is Elijah. And Elijah does an awesome job of pointing uh, King Ahab back to God to stay faithful in his worship to God. We also learn based on 1 Kings 18 uh, verse 1 that there is a drought that is taking place in the nation of Israel. And because of this drought, uh, God is going to use Elijah to bring rain to the land. And this drought has, has been taking place for about three years. And so uh, God instructs uh, Elijah to, to go to King Ahab and have a conversation with him. So Elijah finds uh, someone who works for King Ahab. His name was Obadiah. He was a faithful man of God. It says, Obadiah, can you set up this meeting between King Ahab and myself, Elijah? So this meeting takes place. And in this meeting, Elijah has this massive request. And the request is found in 1 Kings uh, 19, so chapter 18, verse 19. So we just summarize verse two, verse 2 through verse 17, or 18, I should say. Now we're in verse 19. And this is the request that Elijah gives to King Ahab. It says this, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 400 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Continuing on in verse 20. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah's request is this. King Ahab, would you please gather the whole nation of Israel, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, and bring them to Mount Carmel? Now, this is an absolutely massive request for Elijah to have. But we see, based on verse 20... Which says, so King Ahab, or so, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Based on the text here, Ahab doesn't even bat an eye at the request. He says, oh, you want the whole nation of Israel to be in one spot? Sounds good. I'll make it happen. And so the whole nation of Israel gathers at Mount Carmel with these prophets. And with this massive audience, Elijah looks out at the nation of Israel. And this is what he says in verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
those two different opinions are who the nation of Israel is following. Who is the one true God? Is the one true God Baal, this giant golden statue? Or is the one true God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible? And so Elijah simply uses this platform that Ahab gives him to speak to the nation of Israel and ask them the simple question, who do you believe is the one true God? We look at the end of verse 21, and the people did not answer him a word. The nation of Israel, they just sit or stand there in silence before Elijah. They don't have an answer for him. As the nation of Israel does not have an answer of who they believe is the one true God, we need to have an answer in who we believe is the one true God, who we have faith in. Are we going to have faith in an idol, or are we going to have faith in the one true God? Because the nation of Israel can't make this decision of who they are going to worship, Elijah says, all right, we're going to have a great contest. Now, something about me, I love football. I love Michigan football. It was awesome to see them win yesterday. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great to have football back. I love my Detroit Lions. I'm excited for this week. Hope they win on Thursday night. But their games or contests are nothing compared to the contest that we're going to read about and spend time learning about. This contest, I believe, is not just the greatest in the Word of God, but the greatest contest to ever take place. And the reason that I believe that is because this contest is going to show who is the one true God. Who is the God with all the power? And as we spend time in 1 Kings today, we're going to have a front row seat to see how Elijah is faithful to God. And we're going to see these different ways of how Elijah stays faithful to God no matter what. And it is always wise to look at godly men and women throughout the word of God and learn from their times of success and failure as well. And so that's what we're going to do today with the life of Elijah. And we see in verse 21 that Elijah has great confidence in his faith. He has great confidence as he approaches and speaks to the whole nation of Israel. He has no problem in simply calling them out and saying, hey, you're worshiping Baal. You're, you're also worshiping God. You've got to pick one true God. He has no fear in doing that. And he, Elijah's call out to the nation of Israel to worship the one true God comes back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, because the nation of Israel cannot make this decision of who is the one true God, Elijah puts on this contest. And the details of the contest are given for us in 1 Kings 18, verses 23 and 24, which says this, Verse 23, and let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood. 
but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So the details of the contest are this, that two altars would, would be made. And on top of those altars would be put wood and then a bull as well. And both the prophets of Baal and Elijah would call out to their God to see which God could rain fire down onto the altar. Which God would accept the offering from the altar. In fact, the question is, which God has all the power? Is it Baal or is it Yahweh, the God of the Bible? So Elijah, being the polite prophet, looks at the prophets of Baal and says, all right, I want you to go first. And the prophets of Baal, they construct this altar and they begin to call out to God. To call out, I should say, call out to their God, the golden calf. And, and, in, and the, the way that they do this is that they begin to dance, they begin to shout. And I, I imagine it, it was pretty, a pretty crazy scene when you have 400 prophets dancing and shouting. Imagine almost like wreaking havoc at, the, at Mount Carmel. And as they're doing this, then they do an act of worship uh, which is much more serious than just dancing and shouting. They begin to, to harm themselves. They begin to cut themselves. And so now you have blood gushing down the arms of these prophets of Baal. They're continuing their dancing and their shouting. And our, our, our Bibles tell us that this begins in the morning. It goes to the afternoon and even into the beginning of, of evening. And in the afternoon... Elijah begins to poke fun at the prophets of Baal because no fire is coming down from the sky. 1 Kings 18, verse 26 and 27 give the details for us. And then as we step into 1 Kings 18, 30, we see that after Elijah has made fun and poked fun at the prophets of Baal for, for not being able to get fire to rain down from the sky, no matter what they do, whether it's dancing, shouting, or cutting themselves, the prophets of Baal do not get Baal to answer them. And so now, as we're in 1 Kings 18, 30 through 31, Elijah calls the whole nation and all the prophets to himself. 1 Kings 18, 30 through 31 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. So Elijah takes these 12 stones constructs this altar, puts the wood on the altar, puts the bull on top of the altar, and then decides, okay, now I want to see a trench around the altar. So I don't know what a shovel looked like in the Bible times, but I imagine he took his Bible time shovel and he dug his trench all the way around this altar. 
then decide, you know what, I'm going to double down on this challenge. We're going to dump water on this altar. And so Elijah takes uh, four jugs of water and dumps it on top of the altar. Does it another four times and does it another four times until 16 jugs have been dumped on this altar. And I believe that Elijah does this to show the nation of Israel that there's no way that he could light this altar on fire, but it had to be God and God alone to accept this offering. There's no way that he could say, hey, look over there and then put a match on the altar. And the altar goes up fire and say, hey, look what God did. There's no way that he could trick the nation of Israel into thinking that God accepted this offering when really he lit the altar on fire. And so remember, we're looking at ways that Elijah stays faithful to God as he points the nation of Israel back to God. And we see uh, the first way that, that Elijah stays faithful to God is through prayer. 1 Kings 18, verse 36 and 37 says this, And at the time of offering of obligation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37, Answer me, O Lord that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. So Elijah is doing this contest and comes before God in prayer, asking God to change and turn the hearts of the nation of Israel away from their worship of Baal and to worship of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And so we see Elijah's faith is in God and God alone through prayer. He is fully reliant on God to answer his prayer and that there is no way within his own strength that God would, that Elijah could do this act in and of himself. Verse 36 shows us that Elijah is obedient to God. So he is faithful to God and God alone through his obedience and prayer. The very end of verse 36 says, And that I have done all these things at your word. The New Living Translation says, At your command. So Elijah is being obedient to God in putting on this contest. He is doing what God wants him to do. So we can stay faithful to God through prayer and obedience. Elijah shows such great confidence in his faith when he's willing to pray before the whole nation of Israel, crying out to God, asking God to answer his prayer request. And he's also obedient to God by putting on this whole contest, by coming to God in prayer. And so as a child, I, when I would hear this story, I would always think, wow, Elijah's really brave to test God, to even pray this prayer, asking God to rain fire down from the sky. But in fact, Elijah is not testing God. 
He's just being obedient. He's just doing what God wants him to do. He's following God's command for his life. And so as Elijah cries out to God in prayer, as soon as he finishes his prayer, immediately fire comes raining down from the sky, burning up the altar, accepting the offering that is before Elijah. The, the nation of Israel have this awesome response. 1 Kings 18, verse 39 says, And when all the people saw it, they fell at their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The nation of Israel realizes, based on God's awesome power, as God rains fire down the, out of the sky onto the altar, accepting this offering, that God is the one true God. God can do things that Baal could never do because Baal was just an idol. And so a few key things happen here after fire rains down from the sky. Elijah looks at the nation of Israel and says, these prophets of Asherah and these prophets of Baal, they all need to die because they have wreaked havoc throughout the nation of Israel. And so the nation of Israel, they kill off all these prophets. Elijah sends then King Ahab on what I like to call a lunch break. Verse 41 says, hey, go eat and drink. And then Elijah goes and he prays and he asked God to send rain. Asked him first to send fire, now to send rain. He has his servant with him. And Elijah says to the servant, all right, as I pray, go and see if rain is going to come. So Elijah goes off. He looks for the rain. I should say the servant goes off, looks for the rain, comes back. Elijah said, hey, is it going to rain? And the servant looks at him and says, uh, no, it's not going to rain. And this goes on for seven times. On the seventh time, the servant comes back, looks at Elijah, and says, it looks like it's going to rain. The rain is coming. And so then Elijah goes back to Ahab, who's on his lunch break, and says, all right, Ahab, I want you to go back to your wife. I want you to go back home. And King Ahab proceeds to do that. And when he meets up uh, again with his wife, his wife is absolutely furious. Furious at Elijah, furious at her husband, because King Ahab, by granting this request of having the nation of Israel and all these prophets at Mount Carmel, has allowed Elijah to show that the one true God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is the one true God. And Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, was the one who encouraged the worship of Baal. And now all her hard work has been destroyed. And so she, in her anger, she looks at her husband and gets a servant and sends this message to Elijah. And it's found in now 1 Kings 19, verse 2, which says this. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So King Jezebel utters out this death threat at Elijah. And we've seen Elijah deal with all these different circumstances throughout 1 Kings 18 with great confidence. But then when it comes to receiving this death threat from Queen Jezebel... Elijah 
acts in great fear. All that confidence and, and in fact, that strong faith that we see from Elijah, we don't see when Jezebel utters this great death threat. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 through 4, gives the reaction of Elijah to Jezebel's death threat. Verse 3 says, Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4 continues to say, But he himself went a day uh, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So King Ahab, I should say Elijah, not King Ahab, Elijah is so scared at Jezebel's death threat that he wants to die. He goes out into the wilderness and just lays and says, God, just take my life now. I am ready to die. I've served you so faithfully, but I am just so tired. I am exhausted. I can't do it anymore. And just wants to die. Is absolutely crippled in fear. Towards the start of of my career in working with uh, families and children, uh, I worked in foster care uh, where I worked in a uh, three-story uh, facility where uh, foster boys uh, would be placed. It was a temporary placement for the boys uh, just to receive a safe placement. My job was to provide care for the children. And so this, this boy's home was on the east side of Detroit, and I would go in, and uh, the three programs included a shelter program, a residential program, and then a juvenile delinquent program. And so as you can imagine, every day I went into work with these boys, it was absolutely wild. There was always chaos that was, that was reeking throughout this building. Um, and as I, as I would care for these boys, uh, one of the days, uh, the boys came up to me and said, hey, Stephen, can we go to the gym? We want to play some basketball. I'm like, yep, sounds good. Let's go. Grabbed some of the younger boys, went on one side of the court. Some of the teens went on another side of the court. And I'm playing basketball with the boys. We're having a great time. And I hear two of the teenage boys on the other side of the court begin to shout and yell at one another. So I look up, and I see they are just angry. They have had it with one another. So I begin to walk over, and the boys are just yelling at each other back and forth and back and forth. And I put myself in between the two boys as they're yelling at each other. And I think, okay, I can get these boys not to fight but they just keep getting heated and the argument just keeps escalating. And so as they're, as they're arguing and fighting, I turn and I look at one of the boys to say something and I can't even get any words out of my mouth. He, he takes his hand, clenches his fist and just takes this big old step and just swings as hard as he can and decks me right in the face instead of the other boy. So as he punches me in the face, I whip around to look at this boy and I watch him just crumble in fear. And it's as if he has just been crippled in fear. Now, uh, if you look at me, I am as skinny as a rail. I don't look too scary. And so I think to myself, why is this boy so scared of me? Like, yeah, he punched me in the face, but like, he knows me. I'm not, I'm not going to hurt him. But then it clicked. Because of this boy's past abuse and neglect, He was used to receiving an absolute beating of a lifetime for every wrong thing that he had done. And so when he punched me, he thought, 
Stephen is just going to beat me for the wrong thing that I have done. And I got to do the exact opposite. I got to look at this young man and give him grace and mercy and love him and got to build a friendship with him. And as we look back at 1 Kings chapter 19, God has Elijah laying under this broom tree in the wilderness just wanting to die. And I imagine that God could have just killed Elijah right there. Like, yeah, you had great faith. You did great. I rained fire. I used you. But now you're just laying in fear. Come on, man. And could have just killed him right there. But that's not what God does. God, in his great mercy and love, looks down on Elijah and sends an angel to minister and take care of Elijah. 1 Kings 19, verses 5 and 6 say, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he, and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on, on a hot stone in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And so Elijah, he takes a nap, and then the angel comes and gives him a snack and another nap, which is absolutely awesome. Sometimes I feel like, God, I just need a nap and I need a snack, please. And as Elijah has stepped forward faithfully to God in prayer, in obedience, God then comes down with grace and mercy and gives him rest, helps Elijah find rest, which he just frankly just wants to die. We have seen how God has proved that he is the one true God on Mount Carmel by raining fire down from the sky. God has also proved that he is the one true God by sending his one and only son on Mount Calvary to die for us on the cross. If we want to have faith in God, in God alone, just like Elijah had faith, we also need to spend time in prayer. We saw Elijah come before the altar and, and pray to God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are to have faith like Elijah, we are to come to God in prayer, asking God for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we come to him, he will forgive us. He will show us grace and mercy for the wrong things that we have done. Elijah was also obedient to God in not only putting on the whole contest, not only calling out the nation of Israel saying, you don't need to worship this, this false God of Baal, but you need to worship the one true God. And so we have to ask ourselves, have we been obedient in following God or have we let idols slip into our lives? And idols don't have to be giant golden calves. Idols can be things in our everyday life. They can be our social status, how we look. It could be caring about something more than God, a possession. You can fill in the blank whatever that may be for you. But is there something in our lives that we put before God? 
If we are going to have faith in God and God alone, our faith needs to be only in God. And that means coming to God in prayer, asking God for the forgiveness of doing that, and then also stepping forward in obedience towards God, saying, God, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. We also saw Elijah find rest in God. Psalms 37, 7a says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently in Him or for Him. God wants us to come before Him. He wants us to spend time with Him by opening up His Word, by bringing prayer requests to Him, by spending times of confession before Him. When we need rest physically, mentally, spiritually, God wants us to come to Him, and He will meet us with grace and mercy. But it requires us to come before God humbly. If we want to have faith in God, just as Elijah had this great faith, that means coming to God first in confession, second, out of obedience to God, in finding rest in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if we believe that Jesus has died for us, then we can have confidence that we have the maker of this world on our side. We know that we have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. And there's no greater rest than that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that we can step forward in faith. Thank you that we can have faith just as Elijah did. God, I pray that you will help us stay faithful to you. I pray that you will give us strength and energy and wisdom to to identify idols in our lives to identify places where we need to step forward in obedience, God. We love you so very much, God. In your name, amen.